Welcome to a Tennis.com podcast, sponsored by Prince XO3 Racket Technology and by American Express. American Express presents Next Contenders. Get to know four of today's game changers in tennis and follow their moves during the 2010 U.S. Open. For more, visit nextcontenders.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're back in the office here after the U.S. Open. Uh, the tournament's come to an end after 15 days. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Sarah Anki and Steve Tigner. Uh, we're going to look back at some of the... Uh, some of the last parts of the Open, which just wrapped up Monday with Rafael Nadal beating Novak Djokovic for the career slam, his first U.S. Open, um, and any other happenings that took place over the final weekend here. Um, good to be back, fellas, from the, the long tournament. Fellas. <laughs> feels like longer than 15 days, doesn't it? Yeah, someone said, someone said it was approaching Olympian levels of, of length. It was almost like... The length of an Olympic length, Games. Length the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you put in the qualifying, it seems like, I don't know, the qualifying seems like it was like three months ago. But Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it is, it's good to be back in, you know, comfortable <laughs> office instead of the press room. But, you know, it's always nice to see the tennis. I miss those announcements. Yes. press announcements. To get a fire alarm drill or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Attention we'll get that in there. press. Yes, thank you for putting the uh, the PA announcing over over the last few weeks to, to any of our listeners there, um, there was some resolution finally to this all Monday. Um, Rafael Nadal wins. Um, it was I was just thinking about it for for him and the year he's had since the start. It was it was kind of a, a worrisome start to the year Australian Open. Gets kind of a very cathartic cathartic win in um in Monte Carlo he find, wins the tournament first time in nearly a year um and then kind of is built on that and really has improved I think every tournament since then he won the French then takes Wimbledon beats Thomas Birch in the final and then this I think was his finest showing yet in the U.S. Open his long his service has kind of plagued him in the past but I think he played the best here out of really any of them and uh, he did so against Djokovic, who didn't really lie over at all in the final. He got helped by the day of rest, but Djokovic came out, um, you know, made the shots he had to, but Rafa was um, certainly the better man in that match and the best man of this tournament, I think, uh, almost by far. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, but. I thought this was, I would rate this as Nadal's best performance of his career, even better than 2008 French Open is sort of his standard. He won that, losing some incredibly small amount of games, and no sets, but I think this was an even better achievement. He because this really isn't his natural surface, natural his you know not his favorite tournament. He never won it before. He won it without losing, with with losing one set in the final. And he played, I would say, some of the strongest tennis of his career. His serve was was never better. He looked about as confident on hard courts as he ever has. You know, he's he seemed to have the you know the most complete the most complete performance of his career. And and um. You know, he beat Djokovic when Djokovic was playing well. He didn't. He he could have lost that match. There were certain moments when it could have gone, could have gone either way. But Nadal, Nadal seemed to have. You know, once he gets on a roll, he he finds he finds ways to win. And I thought the difference was Djokovic didn't seem like as, as well as Djokovic played and as as much as he fought. He never seemed to me like he believed he was going to win that match. He seemed like he was he was almost acting like he was destined to lose. A close match after a lot of a lot of hard work, and that that almost seemed like the difference to me. 
you know, once he Djokovic won a set, that almost might have seemed like a surprise to him because then Nadal turned it back around pretty quickly. Yeah, I think, you know, winning that match would have been asking a lot of destiny too. I mean, after that five set five setter over over Federer, that was just such an amazing performance, especially in that late in that fifth set by Djokovic. You know, I could see where he would think, how could I do it again? How could I beat both of them while they're playing so well? Um, but I, I thought Djokovic, Djokovic played really, really great tournament. It was good to see him back, um, back, you know, at the U.S. Open with people cheering for him instead of booing him like they did after he got in that tussle with Roddick. Yes. Um, you know, and I think that looking at Nadal, I think that he, without maybe without that rain delay... He could have not lost a set. And that hadn't been done. I think I heard the stat. That hadn't been done at the U.S. Open in 50 years on the men's side. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, there was, there was a juncture in this match where, um, it, you know, I think it could have tilted really. It, it was odd. I think it was in the third set where Nadal was actually already up a break, but he had so many chances to get a double break lead. And I thought really, which would have really kind of taken a lot out of Djokovic but you got the feeling that if um, that if Djokovic could get the break back, because he was, you know, Rafa's serve was unchallenged for most of his term, but it was challenged frequently in the final. I mean, he still served very well, but he was broken more times in the first few games than he was in the first 90 games of the tournament. And Djokovic had a good read on it for, you know, for certain stretches of time. He returned very aggressively. Um, but to Rafa's credit, he managed to serve to, even though he didn't get this double break lead, he managed to keep serving it out and really not let Djokovic get that, you know, get back in this third set. And then once the third set ended, the fourth set fell over very quickly. It was sort of just a coronation at the, at the end of it. And I think Djokovic just sort of resigned to what, to what was going on there. So, yeah, I think Nadal had more than 20 break points that he, that he didn't capitalize on. And there was that moment in the stadium at five, when he served at 5-4, when Djokovic had survived all the way till then. Uh, Djokovic went up 15-30 in that game, and there was some sense in the stadium. There were very vocal Serb fans that, that this, you know, Nadal looked, he looked sort of all alone out there for a second. Like, this, this could be a big, a big turnaround. And then at that point, Nadal hit a service winner, an ace, and, a, and another service winner. And Djokovic put his hands in the air as if he couldn't, he could, you know, there's nothing he could do about it, and he was—he seemed to already have this feeling like, like he'd been defeated. But it was a pretty, you know, pretty big moment for Nadal to turn that, that momentum around just with his serve, with this, you know, with this new shot that he that he uh, has. I was actually surprised how many fans stuck around after the rain. I mean, it was a final, obviously, and it was, it was, it was. You were hoping it wasn't going to be a Tuesday final, but I was actually surprised at how many fans stick around. It was a very very vocal uh, arena from both sides. Lots of they had like the the Djokovic ultras. I want to call them for in in one section, but it was uh, you know a lot of fans from both sides. And um, you're right with the with the rain and everything that kind of brings up a whole new chatter about what to do with this with this third year in a row of a Monday final. It's just a really sort of a sad thing I think for for tennis at the end of the year where it just culminates all to this and you have. And you have this, the the climax pushed off until nobody really knows when. And this year was even worse than before. Um, yeah, getting kicked off CBS and put on ESPN two. And then if it would have gone, if the final would have gone even a half hour longer, it would have been kicked off ESPN two and put on ESPN Classic. 
Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that's so. that's the point when when they're going to have to they will build a roof when those kind of things happen. But people talk about whether they can put a roof on ash. What what's being talked about now is not putting one on ash, but building a new stadium um, adjacent to Flushing Meadows. A, you know, probably not as big as ash, but putting a retractable roof on that. What they would do with ash, I don't I don't know. I think the opinion of the USTA is that ash is getting a little old and what retractable roof or not they would want to build a new stadium and this is this is their opportunity i don't know when you know when what the timetable is but i think that's that's what's being talked about it's only about 20 years not even 20 years old i believe right now yeah if somebody had said when at the usta talked about it said that those types of stadiums when they're they have a 25 year shelf life before they before they I don't know what the word is, get old or just seem out of date. To stop like paying for them. I think that may have, you know, I don't know, that could have something to do with it too. But Yeah, 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 that could be. So yeah, probably a new, I'm thinking probably a new, um, a new stadium with a roof. And it's definitely time to do it. Everybody else, every, you know, the French Open's talking about it. Wimbledon has it. The Australian Open has it. The U.S. Open is famous for always doing things first. Hawkeye and night tennis. So they've, you know, they, they don't want to, seem like they're behind in this this kind of thing. American Express presents Next Contenders, your chance to get up close and personal with four of today's game changers in tennis. John Isner, Sam Query, Melanie Udan, and Caroline Wozniacki. Visit nextcontenders.com to follow the excitement during the 2010 U.S. Open and discover the person behind the player. It's tennis trivia time. Here's a chance to test your tennis knowledge with a Tennis.com podcast trivia question. Brought to you by Prince XO3 Racket Technology. Are you ready? The question is, Hoping to build on the successful defense of his title in Los Angeles earlier this year, which Prince player will head to the U.S. Open in the hope of his you first Grand you know Slam the answer to our trivia title. question? Visit the official Prince Tennis Facebook page, at facebook.com slash official.prince.tennis. Once again, that's facebook.com slash official.prince.tennis. Become a fan today, and be sure to leave your answer on the Prince wall. A little more on Rafa before we um, take a look at the women's, the, the conclusion of that at the Open. Rafa now with nine slams. Um, question that kind of... Is, has already been asked a lot. What does what I guess can he catch Roger? What do you think about him in comparison to Roger at this point already? In terms of, you know, if you want to throw the terms around, greatest ever, or whatever. He, Rafa is still just twenty four. Um, I do, I do also think have to think that Rafa's first four slams are French Open. His last five, only one, only one has been a French Open. Um, so I think that's encouraging for fans of for fans of Nadal who want to see him kind of sustain this really dominance. I think if he's to actually catch Federer, he's going to have to go on one of these, basically the exact same streak that Federer did for these past four or five years ago, which is just, you know, many multiple slams per year for the foreseeable future. But it's, you know, it's a question that's going to be asked around the tennis community for the next few years. Yeah, he's, ahead sure. of, he's ahead of Federer at 24, but that's when Federer really, really went on a tear from 24 to 26 he won something like seven out of nine, seven out of nine Grand Slams that he played. I don't see Nadal doing that, so I think he's going to fall back into into Federer's pace, and you know, and maybe who knows, become even with him. But 
when I was I was looking at this after he won Wimbledon, and I guessed that he would end up his he would end his career with 16 Grand Slams, and the Federer would end his career with 19 Grand Slams, whatever that means, <laughs> whatever that means to anyone. That was my guess because scientific analysis because, there because Rafa will um, he'll always have the French Open. You know, he you have to figure he's going to win three more of those, and then now that he's won of one U.S. Open, a, a couple more of of every other slam, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. He could get injured, get injured tomorrow. The one thing I would say that's interesting about this year, he's the first time since, since 1969, that a male, a, a male player has won three consecutive grand slams. So he's, he won on clay, grass and hard courts in a row, which is, which is like Ed said, that's, that's very encouraging for his future. He can, you know, he didn't, he's the guy who can win the French and the other ones as well. Whereas Roger, he, he won one French, but that was it. Yeah. Now, now for Roger, um, you look at his 2009, where he wins two slams, um, makes the finals of every slam, and you look at his 2010, where it's certainly a noticeable drop. Two quarters. In some ways, of course, didn't he had match point, but it's definitely by his standards a really drastic draw from before i guess the question i have is do you see that trend continuing in the next year where it may be it it just may be even a a tougher track to continue at age once he gets to 30 he'll turn 30 next year at this time um and i I was almost thinking that uh that at some point at some point somebody's gonna bring up the longest quarterfinal streak in tennis history because he's still got that one it's still pretty impressive but but either way i mean do you see? Um, I think Federer still has maybe a slam or two left in him. I, I somebody asked me what I thought at some point last week. I said I put the over under like two and a half, but um, that's just my take on it. I, what, I guess what do you think of Federer looking forward in particular next year on on his uh, his agenda? Oh, yeah, I can't get any easier. He's getting older. He didn't even lose to Nadal in these slams, which is not a great sign. It's not like he he didn't even get to play Rafa, who who um, typically beats him at the Grand Slam. So that's, that can't be good. I think he's a guy who always put himself in contention and that's why I thought he might, he'll win two or three more slams. He's, he'll, he's in, always will be in contention at, at three of the four majors, I think. And, and in the next few years, that'll be enough to get him a few, you know, a few, there's only one guy who's really surpassed him on the tour and that's, and that's Nadal. He's still the second, you know, he's ranked number three now. And he's lost to some other guys, but he was—he's still the second best player in the world, and that he'll always be—he'll be around for the next few years with the opportunity to win slams. Um, well, that's—we'll leave the men's at that for now. Uh, we'll head to the the women's side of action. Um, it seems like a while ago, actually, that they ended. It was on Saturday. It was a few days ago, um, and it was even made quicker because the final was a 59-minute, just uh, over and done with. Show by Kim Kleisters over Zvonareva. Um, Zvonareva reached her second Grand Slam final um, in a row and second time in a row camp short, but she really took a, a beating in this one, two and one. Um, I was actually, we were just talking to her, I was just kind of surprised at how, how we didn't see the Vera, um, you know, everything that you associate with Zvonareva before after this one. I really thought that this is kind of a a disappointment for her and she seemed not as broken up about as I thought she would but um you know still another another slam in a row which is 
impressive to say on the women's tour where everything seems to shift around every few weeks, really. So, yeah, I, you know, I hoped that after after having reached a Grand Slam final at Wimbledon and then reaching another one in a row, I don't think anyone really expected her to reach the U.S. Open final here. Um, you know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, well, maybe she maybe she can make it competitive, maybe she can make it a, a good final. Um, you know, she's been in this situation before, but it was just a rout. You know, it you blink and you missed it. It was it was too bad. But you know, afterwards she said that she just didn't feel like she had another another match in her. She felt like she sort of ran out of gas. Um, so you know, I mean, maybe she needs to do something physically to to you know try to get you know be able to get through those seven matches. Um, or maybe it was mental. Maybe. You know, it wasn't much of a fight. But Kim, obviously, Kleister's are obviously played really well. There must have been something mental because she beat, she, Zvonna Reva had won their last two matches in, in three setters, including one at Wimbledon, and this this was like a different match. I think Kim was pretty confident after having beaten Venus and beating Venus the way she did, really serving it out well and playing playing well to finish the match. She didn't back into that win. And I feel like that, the way she ended that was the way she played when she played the entire two sets against Zvonareva, it was almost like she couldn't, she couldn't miss. She really got into a zone. But it is disappointing for Zvonareva, who played such a smart and controlled match to beat Wozniacki in the semis, which was also a bit of a surprise. Um, and then to go back to, to sort of revert to her more emotional and negative negative way of playing, which, which you know maybe we thought she'd left behind. She, you know, she didn't do that in the Wimbledon final. She just came out a little flat. It was almost like she was over-controlled in that match, but this time, this time she was just out of it from the beginning. Yeah. For the, uh, for the narrative of the women's tour, I think there's a lot of, a lot of sort of unanswered things that are not going to really be resolved until, um, until next year. Justine Ennen's still out. Uh, she's done for the year. Serena is going to, we don't really know her status you probably expect her to maybe come back for an event or two, but it's Serena in non-slam events doesn't really give you an indicator of what she's going to give you at a slam. And the last, and the, and it seems that Australia, you know, when that comes around, will be in a more of just like it really has the last year. It's it's strange with the Australian Open. It's it's the event where players don't have a um, they don't have a lot of time. It's just the first event of the year basically but it seems to be a very telling event as to where the pecking order let you know stand for the players and i think that's probably what's going to happen again for the women um with sort of everybody back in the fold after another year of injuries and sort of yeah serena like, showing up and then sort of disappearing pretty much the rest of the year but uh, that's it's kind of where i think the women's tour is at right now you really Kim won again, but you really don't know much else besides that. So. Yeah, it's too bad. It's almost, it has an unfinished feel. Without Serena and Justine, there's just no way to to gauge, you know, who who really is playing the best. I mean, Kim Kim deserves this, but yeah, it's too bad that this the year started so well in Australia and then you know slowly kind of fell apart with the women. And you're probably right; it's going to everybody will be back and healthy to start again, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you, do you think just one last word? Do you think Justine Ennen is she made the final Australia this year? But um, sort of like Andy Murray in a way, both of those Australian finals really a little tailed off a little bit the rest of the year. But Ennen in particular, do do you think that um, this comeback is going to go the way she planned all in the end with 
I know she has Wimbledon set in her sights, but it didn't. She had a few, a lot of head scratching losses after she reached the Aussie Open final this year too, which made you wonder what her what her game was really at compared to the level of players today. It was a little like the year she retired. Not as mm-hmm. drastic as that, but she lost to Sharapova in the Australian final. She got killed in that match, and then she went. Then she had a bad year, and then she quit. Um, this year was a little like that. She lost a close match to Serena, and then she, then she started to do poorly, and then she, um, you broke know, her she finger. stopped playing for the year. Yeah, broke her finger catching a ball or something in yeah. the Fed Cup. Yeah, she seemed yeah. very fragile this yeah. year. And then the other, the other injury, which put her out for the year, which she did at Wimbledon, which she barely noticed at the time. Yeah. Yeah, my first inclination when I saw when I saw that she was out for the rest of the year, I thought, oh, wow, she's done. Um, done for good. Done for good. But you, you know, I mean, if she get, if she can come back healthy, she obviously can beat anyone. Um, she can come back healthy and and strong, not fragile like this year. Um, so you know, there's really no telling. I have a we'll feeling. See. I have a feeling Kleisters would have been, even if Hennon was on the other side, and that she would have been embarrassed by her pretty much. I don't know. Kleisters was on top of her game for that final. You think Kleisters, yeah, I think Kleisters would have beaten anybody the way she was playing that. Match. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a commanding performance there. She loves the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's it for the the U.S. Open uh, altogether. And um, as you know, tennis really doesn't ever end. So um, we'll be back a little later in the week. Um, look ahead to the Davis Cup semifinals. Those start up this week. Djokovic weekend. is ready. I'm sure he's ready. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> on clay on Friday. That's right. That's uh, on clay too. That's right. They yeah. play. Serbia plays. Um, Czech public. Czech and the French play Argentina. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and then the U.S. is down in Colombia for a, a fight releg- to stay in it. Releg- it's actually on tennis channel. I was very surprised to see there actually is television coverage for that. But um, kudos for them for picking that up. And that's that's with Query Isner, not the Bryans, Harrison, Harrison's and Marty Fish, Fish. Marty Fish. Yeah, and that'll be Pat McEnroe's swan song. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take a look at all those matches uh, later in the week. Thanks for listening to Tennis.com Podcast. You've been listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, sponsored by American Express. American Express presents Next Contenders. Get to know four of today's game changers in tennis and follow their moves during the 2010 U.S. Open. For more, visit nextcontenders.com. And also by Prince XO3 Racket Technology. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.